While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. As you know, school has begun again. And so this podcast, which started as a summer project, is going to take a rest for a little bit. If you are subscribed, please stay subscribed. I usually try to do a few fun, kind of spooky, not so factually based podcasts close to Halloween, so those will be showing up soon. I'm already putting together a preliminary list of episodes to record and release in the winter, so stay subscribed, there are more episodes coming. We have a lot of Georgia still to cover. So this will be our last episode for a little bit, and it's about the Atlanta Ripper. Here we go. Georgians followed the developments of the Whitechapel murders as closely as the people in London did. Every crime of Jack the Ripper appears in newspaper reports in Georgia, mostly with all the detail you'd expect. One article that was reprinted in several papers caught my eye and explains that the residents of Whitechapel now lived under two distinct types of fear. There was fear of the actual murderer and fear of committing some accidental act that would cause a crowd to assume you are the murderer and lynch you right there in the street. In 1888, a series of murders also took place in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which were immediately compared by the press to what was happening in London. Four African-American men were found dead over the course of about two weeks, and the papers reported that the population lived in fear of a murderous hoodoo among them. It's hard to fit those crimes in the mold of a serial killer or a single perpetrator, and all four were killed through very different methods. However, even before the murders ended in London, the seed had been planted, and from that time forward, a pattern killer, especially one who preyed on women, would immediately be compared to Jack the Ripper. It even happened in Atlanta. This is moving through Georgia, and this week, the case of the Atlanta Ripper. Just like with Jack and the Whitechapel murders, people have built entire careers describing the murders, speculating on a possible killer, and creating a canonical list of victims. The London killer has a list of victims that fit a particular profile, and some others have been variously attributed to him at different times. The murders in Atlanta may have started in 1909 or in 1911, And similarly, the victim list changes as the case passes through the hands of different researchers. I'm mostly going by a book by Jeffrey Wells called The Atlanta Ripper for the basic facts, but also a lot of contemporary newspaper accounts and a few other books. In 1906, the candidates for governor needed to address, among other subjects, the place of the city's growing African-American population. The city was expanding and more opportunities were being offered to blacks, but many people stood in their way. Alongside the rhetoric of the two candidates blasting each other for not supporting white supremacy enough, the newspapers ran lurid headline stories of black men attacking white women. In September, a mob of men converged on downtown. They intended to take revenge on some that 
they felt had affronted the white society. Three days, and the intervention of the state militia later, two white men and 25 to 40 black men were dead. In the 12 years after those riots, Atlanta was becoming a white city and a black city, and the causes behind those deaths were still in the air when the Atlanta Ripper stepped out into the night air of Atlanta's fourth ward. On April 5, 1909, and I'm looking through the paper here, it says a police officer was shot and killed in Macon that day. The mayor and Atlanta Women's Committee were promoting a spring cleaning day for the city. And someone named Mrs. Emma Kershaw was being carried off to jail, swearing she wouldn't leave until she had the right to vote. Also on that day, Della Reed, an African-American woman, was found dead in a trash pile on Rankin Street. This is often pointed to as the first killing of the Atlanta Ripper. And when it was over, or at least the obvious pattern was over, 20 young African-American women would be dead with slashed throats and head wounds. Again, there's a list of people who lost their lives in that area at that time. Not all died the same way. This is what makes compiling a list of the Ripper's victims so difficult. One victim that makes pretty much everybody's list was Rosa Trice, found in January of 1911. She was discovered less than 100 yards from her home with blunt force trauma to the head and a slit throat. In this case, her husband was arrested but was later released for lack of evidence. Tensions in the neighborhood were high, but memories of the recent riots discouraged many from asking whether the police would have investigated these murders more thoroughly if the victims were wealthy or white. One example of that level of tension was a woman named Lucinda McNeil who was murdered by her drunken husband. This has nothing to do with the Ripper, but at the time a rumor spread that an Atlanta police officer had been shot during the arrest, and people who were angry on both sides began to gather. Luckily, the officer was able to confirm that he was still alive and safe, and possibly another set of riots was averted. In July of 1911, the Augusta Daily Herald drew attention to the serial murders taking place in Atlanta. The murder of a Negro woman and the possible fatal cutting of another on Saturday night gave the local police their first clue to a black Jack the Ripper who has claimed, in all, eight victims. The event they're talking about took place on July 2nd, and it's a fairly crazy story. That evening, Lena Sharp left home to do some grocery shopping, leaving her daughter Emma Lou behind at home. After a while, Emma Lou became worried that her mother had not yet returned and went to the market to ask about her. She was told her mother had never arrived. On the way back to her home, she encountered a tall man with a broad-brimmed hat. The stranger asked her how she felt that evening, and Emma said something casual as she started to walk quickly past him, but he blocked her path, saying, Don't be afraid, I never hurt girls like you. But, as he said that, he pulled a knife and stabbed Emma Lou in the back. She screamed, and the man ran off as help arrived. Her mother had become a victim of the Ripper, and from her story it seemed that she almost had as well. 
Throughout the case, she would be the only one known to see the Ripper and live. Eventually, pressure from black community leaders would lead to more police involvement in the neighborhood. Two men were arrested, but Ripper-like murders continued while they were locked up. Whoever was involved, or someone who wishes they were involved, began sending letters to the police. That's Jack the Ripper's M.O. The chief of police in Gainesville claimed to have received a letter warning that he would soon visit that city. Meanwhile, discussion on how many murderers the police were actually searching for continued. The Fulton Grand Jury rejected the idea that a single person had been committing the crimes. In July of 1914, the body of Mary Rowland was found. The newspaper mentioned that she had been attacked with a knife in the manner of the previous Ripper murders. Although there would be more violent murders in Atlanta, Mrs. Rowland is usually considered the last in the series perpetrated by a single individual. If you have a theory of your own on the Atlanta Ripper, I'd love to hear it at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. And if you are a fan of Georgia history and would like more people to get to hear some of these stories, you could help by leaving us five stars or a review on whatever podcast app you listen to. When I was in college, my roommate was a criminal justice major, and I read most of the books that he had lying around the room. Ask me about the Zodiac murders or the Green River Killer, and I might surprise you about how much I know. Now, this was just about the time that Silence of the Lambs came out, so studying serial killers was a big deal at the time. I can tell you that the act of knocking the women on the head to immobilize them before using a knife does fit the definition of a serial killer, and that those kinds of killers tend to attack those within their own race. That's the extent of my criminal profiling abilities as far as this case goes. The Atlanta Ripper was never identified or caught, and it was never really 100% proven that one person was committing the murders. So, we will just leave it there. Please remember to stay subscribed, and look out once in a while for something Halloween-ish to show up. Thanks for listening. And around the ring you go A grand old right to left walk On your heel and toe From an a pretty gal to Georgia That's all